Dr. Jeff Anzalone is a full-time practicing periodontist in the great state of Louisiana, author and founder of DebtFreeDoctor.com. He focuses on teaching doctors and other high-income professionals to create passive income from real estate so that they can stop trading their time for money. In this episode, we talk about two key setbacks that shifted Jeff's mindset towards building multiple streams of passive income, why he doesn't invest in single-family rentals, the lessons learned from losing his first $50,000 he invested in the syndication, and the great question he uses to find other potential groups to invest with. I'm Neil Henderson, and this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things, and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash S-T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Well, Jeff Anzalone, welcome to the road to family freedom. Thanks, Neil. Happy to be here and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I want to hear your story of how you, you graduated from, or you finished your residency and you, you sort of hit the, you were hitting the road to, to your career and you had a little bit of a hiccup. Can you describe to us what happened there? I would think it's probably a little more than a, just a hiccup, but uh, look it back on it. So a couple of weeks before I finished my training as a periodontist at LSU, the group that I was supposed to go in with group practice for whatever reason, pull the job offer out from under us. And you have to realize if you go to dental school or medical school or law school or anything like that, they only teach you your trade. They don't teach you anything about running a business or in my part, running a practice. So that that's what scared me the most, along with having about 300K in student loan debt, uh, two month old, no patients, no practice. And we'd already bought a home that we were paying interest only at the time. So I was actually in more than $300,000 in debt, but did a lot of praying at that time, did a lot of networking. And luckily someone reached out to me that I didn't even know said he was also a specialist in this area in Louisiana said kind of the same thing happened to him. And he said, you know, come on in my office. You can rent space from me. I'll teach you teach you the ropes. So, uh, luckily I did that. I was with him for a couple of years and then found a building and moved and and started my own practice and, um, away I went. But I think, you know, when, when you're in school like that and you have a lot of debt, you know, for me, it really wasn't that bad because I knew I was going to get out and have a decent income. So I would say I went from an abundance mindset to when that happened to like a fear slash scarcity mindset. And I still, honestly, Neil, I still battle with that today. Um, it's gotten much better, but you, you just never know when things can go south. I mean, take last year, what happened? Who would have thought that the world would have shut down and, and I wouldn't be able to treat patients for two months. 
I mean, you, you, you never know. So, so that happened. And, um, luckily when I was in my residency, I'd heard a guy by the name of Dave Ramsey, and this was over 20 years ago. And we followed his baby steps. You know, uh, he was actually the first one that I ever heard of that said that you could save up and pay for a car in cash. I'd never heard of that before. And, um, just used his principles, got, got out of debt and then got to the point where it was like, okay, now what? And then, you know, eventually led me into other ventures, which I'm, I'm sure you want to get into a little bit later. Yeah. Well, a couple of things you said, I want to sort of speak on one is the idea of, you know, when you're in school, when you're in college, whether it be, I, I went through an acting program, uh, you went through a dental training. They don't teach you, they teach you your craft. They don't teach you how to make money doing it. They don't how to teach you how to do it as a business. And I think that also, uh, you also run into that a lot with a, a lot of real estate gurus as, as well. You know, they sort of teach you, they teach you the nuts and bolts, but you really don't necessarily learn how to run it as a business. Uh, they just kind of like shove you out the door and say, good luck. Right. What was it that you think you, what were you missing when you started your dental practice? Uh, actually, I wrote a book called what they don't teach you in dental school. <laughs> <laughs> and what I did is as as the gentleman that I was working with, uh, for those two years, you know, as I was learning things from him, such as how to do payroll, such as how to order supplies, how to hire, fire, train, everything that, that, that you take for granted that, that you don't know about, I started writing it down. And then lo and behold, I looked up a few years later and I had a, a pretty, pretty thick stack of, of notes, you know, on a, a yellow, notepad and, um, converted that into book format. And, and if, you know, if a redneck from Louisiana can write a book, I mean, anybody can write a book. So uh, it was actually pretty easy, but, uh, yeah, just any, anything and everything that, that we aren't taught. So I guess you could just classify it as non-clinical that I learned about and just wrote that down. The other thing that it brings to mind is we talk about this a lot, which is that your, often your W2 income, no matter how good it is, is a single point of failure. Like you said, a year ago, you could have never imagined that you would have been shut down for two months due to no fault of your own at all. You know, I mean, you're, you're, we're one pandemic, we're one accident, one angry boss, you know, one hurricane, whatever, away from being completely shut down and losing our, our W2 income. So a few years ago, we were snow skiing, got off the lift, had a kid cut out in front of me, uh, swerved to avoid killing him and myself. And I fell. And when I fell, you know, when you fall, you, you know, automatically put your hands down. And when I did that, uh, you know, luckily, uh, it wasn't a, a really bad wrist injury, but it, it did injure my wrist. And I think that was a starting point of me realizing, okay, Jeff, what would you do if you couldn't use your hands? What would you do if you couldn't work? Because I was focused on only one income stream at that time. And probably like many of your listeners, Neil, they, sometimes you get a wake up call like, okay, well, only really dependent on 
one income stream, what would happen if that shut off? I think that was a really big eye opener for the whole country last year that, or when, you know, when the pandemic hit that, Hey, you got one income stream coming in. What, what can you do to mitigate that risk moving forward? And I'm on a, a, it's a very popular dental forum. Actually, I think they're based out of Vegas, uh, dental town, um, Howard Ferrand, maybe they're not in Vegas, but they're out that way. But anyway, there's over 200,000 dentists that are on that website. And as you can imagine, being shut down for two months, it gave us a lot of time to read and get online. And, and if you could, you know, when, when I, some of the things that I was reading about dentists that were just speaking their thoughts at that time, you know, a lot of them were saying, I'm never, I'm never using a credit card again. I'm never, I'm going to pay for cash moving forward for all my purchases. So, you know, they couldn't work on teeth and they had all these bills piling up and it it really, again, you never think about all, you just think, okay, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to be able to pay my bills. Well, what if the income stops, but the bills keep coming in? And I think for many, many, many dentists, at least on that forum, and I know that many other ones that weren't on that forum, they were thinking the same thing. And a lot of them were talking about getting out of the stock market too, because that at that time it was, you know, going down. And then it, to me, I knew it would eventually go back up, but what really shocked me, which has made me rethink even investing anything in the stock market is how people can go and put out a tweet or something and the market can go down a thousand points or go up a thousand points. Um, Do you want your retirement locked up in something where somebody can just tweet something and it, you know, a good bit of it go away. So that, that made me rethink my total investing strategy. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I love about, I mean, I invest in the stock market. I invest in, you know, primarily index funds, but my, my chief focus on is on real estate because I understand what goes into the valuation of the real estate that I'm buying, especially when it's commercial real estate, you know, it's based on, you know, net operating income divided by the cap rate. You know, I know that if we can increase the NOI, we're going to probably increase our cash flow and we're going to increase the value. I love Apple products. I couldn't tell you, I could not tell you what goes into the valuation of Apple's stock price other than it's really popular. Same with Tesla. I, you know, I dream about owning a Tesla someday. I could not tell you the foggiest what goes into the valuation of Tesla. So I don't, I don't like banking my future income and my future retirement earnings on that. Well, I could tell you as a, a new Tesla owner, that those things are pretty fun to drive. <laughs> I bought my wife one and last month. And if, if anybody's ever been to Epcot on test track, on those cars that go around the track. I mean, you, you hit the, you hit the accelerator and man, you are pushed back. I mean, it is unbelievable. So that's about the only thing that I know about a Tesla. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. But the other thing you bring up is, you know, you're talking about this forum full of, full of dentists, you know, dentists are, are fairly high income earners. I mean, if they're worth their, you know, if they're worth their weight, uh, they also, you know, work hard and they have to, as you said, they, a lot of times they come out in pretty massive amounts of debt. But if people who are high income earners are, are getting kicked in the teeth 
by by an incident like this it, it's not much you know how is somebody you know who's who's just a, a restaurant worker or a, an executive at a uh, an insurance company or a bank they're also going to have the, the same issue which is you've got solo economic dependency as my friend uh, mark podolsky says you know um, you've got to find ways to generate passive forms of income other income streams that are diversified yeah, you're you're exactly right, and that's really important, especially for those that are married or, or you have kids. You know, because they're all dependent on you. Know, you know, with with two teenage boys, it's our food bill sky high. So that that uh, you know, it's really important, depending on your situation. Gotcha. All right, so let's talk about. We've sort of covered our our backgrounds a little bit. How did you talk to me about how you discovered real estate after the ski? incident, ski trip incident with the wrist injury, I knew I had to do something about it, getting alternative, alternate streams of income, but I, I didn't know where to start. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm an avid reader and started reading a lot. And I actually eventually got into a podcast. So I realized and, and reading books, you know, the everyday millionaires book that Chris Hogan put out a few years ago with Dave Ramsey and, you know, the millionaire next door, you know, all these books about millionaires, they talked about the average millionaire has anywhere from, I believe three to nine streams of income and 90% of the millionaires out there have real estate in their portfolio. At that point, I only had one stream of income and the only real estate I had was the home that I lived in. So I knew that, okay, well, looks like I need to do real estate. At that time, the only thing that I thought you could do was be an active investor. I'd never heard about passive investing. So I have friends that either have their own rental property in this area, or they help manage their, their family's rental property. So I started asking them questions. They helped me out and almost pulled the trigger on a single family home, decided not to because I went to a meeting in Dallas where it was a dentist that was talking about real estate, teaching other dentists about real estate and talked about pretty much everything, but active investing, which I really thought it was going to be about active investing that really opened my eyes to, Hey, there's other things out there besides being a landlord. And, um, I'm really glad I went to that meeting because it led me down the road to finding different ways to to invest without taking extra time away from my family. Well, and it's a matter of, you know, you're if you're whether you're a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer and you're a high income earner, you're any time you're trying to take away to do active real estate investing, any kind of active investing, you're taking away from your earning potential from what's making you most of your money. Yeah. My anesthesia nurse yesterday, we were working together. She's got a couple of single family homes and we talk about syndications all the time. She said, well, you're going to like, you're going to like this story. Two nights ago, uh, my husband was out of town. He had my two daughters. They were at some uh, rodeo convention or some meet or something. And I got a call at 1.30 in the morning from one of my tenants. The hot water tank had busted and water was going everywhere. She was actually walking around her house, sloshing in water. 
and, you know, really didn't know what to do and finally had to go over there and try to figure it out and help her shot back it up and cut off the water. And she said, man, these syndications are looking more and more better each day. <laughs> so now, you know, she said with the the repairs and insurance claims and all that, you know, that that's now that's going to put her way behind you know, she got, you know, is ahead with the, with the, uh, the rent, but now it's going to put her way back in the hole. Just now she's going to have to collect a whole, you know, a whole lot more rent just to get to where she was. So it's, you know, like one step forward, seven steps backwards. Yeah. Well, especially if you're dealing with a single family home, single unit, you know, you're, you know, maybe making 200 to $400 a month net cash flow. And, you know, all it takes is, you know, a a bad tenant that trashes the place on their way out or right now a tenant who can't pay, you know, who can't pay their rent. You can't evict them or frozen pipes. A lot of people are dealing dealing with frozen pipes in in Texas. And and you're talking there's a good chance you're wiping out a year or more of cash flow. Right. You're right. Um, So have you ever have you ever bought a single family home? you know, a direct, what you, what you would call an active real estate investment? I have not, but the home that we're remodeling right now, it has a mother-in-law house attached to it. So last year there was a, a family that we go to church with. They're in our life group. They've been trying to sell their house forever. And all of a sudden somebody bought it and they had to move out quickly. So I said, look, I've got a you know, a guest house here, two bedrooms. Do you want to rent it while you find a house? Well, it took them eight months to, to find a house. And man, I about pulled my hair out those eight months because every little thing they're texting me, you know, this and that. I'm like, I can't imagine having 20 of these things and 20 tenants calling me and texting me. So that really, that really sealed the deal right there that I did not want to be an active investor and manage it myself. Gotcha. So talk to me about that first syndication that you uh, bought into. Well, I, I had done a little bit of some, some small debt deals with crowdfunding online. It was crowdfunding was starting to get uh, a little bit big at that time. This was, you know, back maybe 2016, 2017, got a little comfortable with that. Didn't know what I was doing. So I decided to, to step it up, went to realtyshares.com, which was probably one of the bigger ones at that time, kind of like a Fundrise or a Roofstock now, and decided to do my first equity deal was a apartment complex in Oklahoma, in Tulsa. Did Jeff's way of investing, looked at the pictures on the website and immediately went to the returns. I didn't really know what that stood for IRR something or whatever. It looked, it was high. So I said, I'm going to put 50 grand in, uh, eight to nine months later, we got an update that stated all the investors that were in that project. Unfortunately, we're going to lose their money, all of it. So that was a big wake up call. Not a lot of fun. I wrote an article about it on my website and that's probably one of the the most talked about articles as you can imagine out there. So it was was an apartment and what was the location again? Tulsa. It was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. How many, do you remember how many units it was? It was, I think close to 200, maybe like 180, something like that. Okay. 
And what was the le- what went wrong? What they didn't tell us was the area. More people were moving out than moving in because of crime, and the sponsor group immediately started throwing a lot of money in it, trying to renovate it. But again, more people were moving out of the complex than moving in. They tried to market it, promote it. They couldn't do it. And he basically ran out of money and folded up and, and left. And they did what they could. They tried to sell it. They tried to sell it, you know, of course at a loss and um, just, just never could. And it fell through. And then eventually shortly after that realty shares went under and, and was bought out by another company. And, you know, they, they kind of picked it up. They were trying to, I guess, you know, do a lot of these. I'm, I, from what I read, that wasn't the only one that fell through with that platform. So they tried to clean up a lot of the mess with several other ones. Um, I don't know if they were successful or not. That really made me take about a year off from investing. Bad. And I could have quit, you know, easily quit, but I knew that, that, you know, if, if I wanted to create passive income and, and do the things that we wanted, that I had to figure it out. And so that really changed my philosophy on how I invest now. What was the key lesson learned there on that Tulsa deal? With those platforms, those online platforms, you don't know who you're investing with. You don't get to know them. And if I'm, if I'm giving somebody 50 grand or a hundred grand, I want to know them personally, I want to know other people that invested with them. At this point, I want to know where they live and their um, cell phone number. I mean, I'm, I get that personal. Not that I'm going to do anything, but it's just nice to have that if I have an issue or a question, I can email or call or text or, or whatever. Uh, you don't get that on those platforms. Gotcha. Well, and it's important to remember <clears throat> that when you're investing in a syndication, you're just like with a, with a stock, you're giving up control in exchange for it being passive, but you're also giving up liquidity. You know, you can't typically just go, Hey, I'm not, you know, I need that money now. I'm not comfortable with, you know, where this is going. I want to pull my money back out because that, that is very much up to the syndicator or the sponsor on whether or not you can do that. And often it's not an easy, easy process. And especially if the deal's going bad, they're not gonna, they're not gonna, you know, let everybody start pulling their money out. Cause it'll just make it worse. When I talk to people about investing in a syndication, I say often, you know, a good sponsor can make a bad deal good. A bad sponsor can make a good deal bad. And most of the the passive investors that do it full time that I know are usually more often than not investing in the sponsor more than they're investing in the deal. Right. And you don't get any of that on those platforms. You're yeah. just looking at the deal and you can put anything as you know, on, on a platform, on a website and um, just because it's on a website don't mean it, it, it's true. So, and I, and I found that out pretty quickly. So after about a year, you got back into it. How did you change things up? I was at a meeting in Dallas and I started meeting other investors and there was a couple of sponsor groups there and I started networking and, you know, as with anything, you start to hear the same names go across, Hey, you should invest with these people. They're really good or stay away from this group. And, and, um, 
uh, eventually the, the first group that I invested with was actually a Dallas deal it was Ashcroft capital, uh, Joe Fairless. Yep. I got to meet him. He was very instrumental in teaching, helping me. And it, after that, it kind of took off from there. What time period is that? That was, I think, November, December-ish, 2017. Okay. And the reason why I remember that is I just got an email from them. That actually first deal is in the process of exiting now. So that's actually my first deal that has exited. So I've been able to go full cycle on that one. But that's when I started to to get a little more serious about in, investing directly with sponsors. Gotcha. And full disclosure, we are, we're invested with Ashcroft on a deal as well. So um, not that it I have to say that, but it's good. I think good to get that out there. Uh, How did you, once you decided to sort of get back into it, it sounds like it really became much more about just networking with other passive investors, correct? As far as investing in future deals. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, pre COVID it was a lot easier because you could go to meetings and, you know, you had this whole big room full of people and you had all these speakers and, you know, they could, you'd sit next to somebody, Oh yeah, I've invested with them or, you know, check them out, go to their booth. So it's, it's a little bit harder now, but I think maybe as things open up, it'll get better. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, my, my networking has, has come down to this, which is (laughs) podcasting, you know, you get to get somebody on and you talk to them. And do you have a system for qualifying sponsors now? I have a pretty good BS meter to, to where, you know, I talk to somebody, you know, you kind of get that gut feeling, and, you know, there was one particular guy that I, I, don't, I won't mention his name, but I mean, he just said everything right, but there was just something about it, something about him. And come to find out after talking with other people that um, they're like, it's probably good that you didn't invest with them. So there's, you know, just talking with somebody for me helps. Again, uh, talking to other investors and, and and, and asking those investors, Hey, do you know anybody else in the deal that I could talk to? Cause I don't want to, you know, of course the sponsor group is going to give you like their, their top investors to talk to, but I want to know, Hey, is there anybody else? Uh, another good question to ask the sponsor would be if you couldn't invest in your own deal, who would you invest with? Like and that. that, that really, um, that really helps a lot to find out the, the credible people, um, as well. But it, this isn't something that, I mean, I'm sure from your experience too, this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. It's, it's taken years and years of networking and researching and listening to podcasts. And, you know, that's how I get most of my material from and meet people is from podcasts where they'll have somebody on and that person may mention a book or may mention a meeting or may mention something and, you know, kind of go from there and then see where it takes me. And are you primarily focused in on apartment communities? I am. And I, and I think it's really important to, especially if you're married to set financial goals, because those goals are going to lead you what to invest in. So for us with two teenagers, I want something that's less risky more conservative, you know, the, the returns are probably going to be lower, but if I was single, it would be, you know, I wouldn't mind investing in, you know, new construction, higher risk, but you know, the process of possibility of having higher returns. So 
that, you know, whatever your goals are, those are going to help guide you down the process of, of what to invest in. And started with apartments, uh, like I talked to you about before the call, we are looking at some self storage, which I know that you're very familiar with, but as of now it's, it's, uh, apartments. Gotcha. Multifamily. How, how many, how many deals are you invested in now? Uh, as of now, six getting ready to be five because that one's, uh, you know, selling, but, um, that's, that's what we're in now. Often I tell people that there's, you know, in my mind, there's kind of two types of investors. There's the cash flow investor and there's the equity growth investor. And then there's kind of the blend. And it sounds to me like you're more of a blend sort of cash flow investor, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and often, you know, so, you know, a development deal, while it can be a great equity play, uh, is often, it's not going to be cash flow in the beginning or at all. A lot of times it's just an equity play. You're just sort of, you know, you give, give somebody your money and they're going to be sitting on it for, you know, two to five years, however long it takes to get the property, property stabilized and then exit the deal. But when you're investing with a, a sponsor like Ashcroft, I know Ashcroft's business plan is much more, they like to buy stabilized assets that have a value add component. So you're getting, you're typically getting cash flow right off the bat. And then there's also uh, the potential for an equity multiplier at the end when you exit, correct? Correct. What was it that drew you to apartments over any other syndication? I think it was a familiar familiarity of, of apartments, which I, at that point I'd lived in apartments for almost 10 years. And just knowing that people have to have a place to live. And most of the syndicators that at that time that I was looking at, that's pretty much all they had to offer. So um, that's, that's what, you know, led me to them initially. When you, cause you, you've got your website, uh, debt-free doctor, and you have a lot of focus on teaching other medical professionals about syndication. Can you sort of talk to us about what, you know, how you sort of guide someone through explaining it in that process? When I first started, it was just all education and it was what I was learning that I thought was pertinent for somebody. So for instance, cap rate, you know, so I would learn about cap rate, then I would write an article about it. And then Eventually, people started reaching out to me asking, well, you know, well, what, what about this or what about this term? So I, initially, it was all about giving people what they wanted to know about as far as articles. And then I started seeing this. Actually, this is the third year that I have had the blog. And, you know, like with anything else, it was just kind of flatlined for about two years. And then now it's really starting to pick up. The, the more traffic that comes in. So of course there's people that want to list that want to read the articles, but then there was a certain group of people that would reach out to me that wanted to know more that actually wanted to potentially invest. And so what I did, I just created a second group within the blog called the passive investor circle. And that allows them to, you know, we talk one-on-one. -on -one. Um, some of, sometimes I tell people, uh, I don't think real estate's their best interest. You know, ethically, I think we have that. Uh, that's what we should do. And, you know, so for instance, I spoke with, um, I, I still remember he was a, a young dentist in Nebraska 
And after we started talking, he had like about six or $700,000 in debt. By the time you look at his practice loan, student loan, his mortgage. And I said, you know, be honest with you, I just, I think you should hold off on real estate and clean up some of this debt. So that, that's why I like to do the calls, you know, just to see where they are in their life. And then if they do want to invest, what I do is I just put out a deal that I'm investing in personally, and they can just invest alongside of me. Because as you know, most of these people are busy. They don't want to read all these articles or listen to podcasts. And they're like, okay, well, I know you, Jeff, I trust you. So if you're going to invest in it, you know, we will too. So that's, that's kind of where, you know, how things have led up into this point. You, you bring up a great point and it's really hard to have a conversation with people sometimes who are, who want to invest, but they are in, in huge amounts of debt. And it is kind of a, uh, a moment where you have to sit them down and say, listen, you know, I know you're excited about this and it feels like you're maybe you've got some fear of missing out, but when you pay down your debt, you're getting a guaranteed return on whatever, on whatever that interest rate is. And some, you know, if they're lucky, it's low. Uh, when I had student loans, my interest rate was 9.5%. Wow. Guaranteed interest rate, you know, and, and you can't, and it was a, they were subsidized loans. So you can't, you can't get out of them. You can't refinance out of them. And they're not, I can tell you, there are not many investments that can guarantee you a 9.5% return. And that's what you, that's really what you need to, the mind shift that you need to have when you're thinking about, God, it sucks paying down this debt. And I feel like I'm missing out on investing in, you know, Tesla or, or apartment syndications. Well, you know, don't think of it that way. Think of it as, as getting a guaranteed return of whatever your interest rate is. Yeah, it's very psychological. And I think that's why Dave Ramsey has been so successful yeah. as he teaches it more from a psychological standpoint, uh, less than like a practical scene. You, know, you would think, okay, well, let me start with the highest debt, highest interest rate loan first. But he says, no, start with the smallest debt you have as far as the amount, get that win, get, you know, get fired up about it and then, you know, move on. So yep. that's, that's what we did. So, you know, you talked about getting yourself educated. You, you know, you did a lot of networking. You ended up meeting Joe Fairless, listening to a lot of podcasts. Is there any other way that you went about getting yourself educated on, on apartment syndications before you kind of got started? I would probably say the other way was listening to podcasts such as yours and list and actually reaching out to the, if, if I wanted to connect with one of the people that were interviewed Sometimes I was able to get in touch with them and that's probably been the second best way that, that I've done it. So if you're listening to a podcast and you really like to hear some, so for instance, the, you know, once, once we're finished, I, uh, I'm going to be talking with somebody that I'd heard on another podcast. He just came out with a book. He has a podcast. So we're, we actually have connected with each other. So that that's kind of how I've done it. And you, you you sit here and you listen to somebody talk for 30 to 45 minutes, you know, you kind of feel a connection. And especially now with more and more people are doing video, you can actually see what they look like. And, uh, you know, cause that's, to me, that's, that's just important as listening to them. And if you, you know, have that connection with them, I recommend that people reach out to them and then, you know, go from there. Yeah. I absolutely agree with what Jeff is saying. And I, you'd be surprised 
you know, you're sitting there listening to a guest on a podcast, um, or even a, or even a host, you know, I, I put out an offer for every show for people to give me a call and, and you'd be amazed at the people, the number of people who take me up on it. And most of the time it's not, I'm not selling anything. It's for me, the value is I get to have a conversation, you know, I get to network with another investor. I get to, you know, teach somebody about self-storage if they've never heard about it. I get to maybe talk with another self-storage investor and learn from them. There's all this give and take. So I would encourage people to not be shy. You know, I think what you, what you're doing there is great. You're listening to a guest and you like the way they sound, reach out to them. You know, you'd be surprised at the number of people who would be completely open to that. Yeah, for sure. Pretty well, much everybody and myself included, and probably yourself included, we are where we are in life because of all the people that have helped us along the way. So I, I really have noticed that most really successful people, they don't have any issues with taking the time to try to help, you know, the other people as well. Was there anything else? Was there a key piece of knowledge that you had to learn that you didn't know before in order to, to you think that allowed you to be successful now? I'd never reached out or, or sought out a, a, a mentor before. And that was one of the things I found a, a local one here. He's actually probably one of Louisiana's only few billionaires with a B. It, you know, he has several businesses, but you know, one of his main ones is real estate. And as you can imagine, I was you know, nervous about, you know, meeting with them. But when, when I called him and I said, Hey, you know, I'm interested in real estate. Remember we talked in the grocery store. You said, call you. I said, I'm calling you. He said, yeah, great. He said, let's meet. And, and he said, what's, he was like, what's best for you? And I was just kind of taken aback, like, you know, thinking he's got all this, you know, s- scheduled, but yeah, he set me down in his office two hours and 15 minutes and I left there and I told my wife, I said, I learned more in two hours and 15 minutes than I probably did in two hours, two years of college. I mean, it just, my mind just, just opened to the possibilities because you listen to where somebody started and it was just like step, step, step. And it's like, I could do that, you know? So that, that, um, that was really cool doing that. So you, you're still practicing, you're still practicing periodontist, correct? Correct. Okay. So how much time would you say your real estate endeavors outside of the, uh, the blog that you're having to do, how much time would you say those are taking you each week? Hardly anything. You know, just if I want to go and log into a portal and check, a if my K one's ready to download, or if I got a distribution, um, as far as that part of it, you know, a few minutes a week, you know, not, not much at all. Gotcha. And then when you are looking at a deal, how long would you say it takes you to look at a deal? I would probably say a couple of hours. You know, I like to go over the, the, the pro forma. I like to talk with who's doing the underwriting. I like to talk with the group. If I can tour the property, either in person or now with all the technology they have, you know, you could do it remotely. So uh, I would say about like that. And location-wise, you're in Louisiana. You're investing in in Dallas. Where else? 
mainly in the Southeast, in the, the Carolinas, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, not too far of a, a drive away from, from where I am. But have you visited any of the properties that you've invested in? Yeah. In person, no. But when when they go and do the, the walkthroughs, you know, they have a, a camera that, so they're, you know, looking at stuff and moving it around. A couple of properties I looked at this past summer that were in Fort Worth in person uh, would decided not to to invest in it. They had some issues with handicap access that they did not want to to address. So that actually fell through. The more and more as I transition out of practice, I'm going to get more hands-on and be able to free up and travel. And, you know, once our kids move out, uh, and go off to college, that'll free up time uh, with that too. Well, Jeff Enzalone, thank you so much for sharing with us today. You've got your website, Debt-Free Doctor, uh, and you've also got, um, you've got a free guide that you give away as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, it's just a, a, a basic, you know, for people that don't really know much about passive income, sort of the things that to think about and ways that I've started creating it so they could download that on the website at debtfreedr.com forward slash free guide. If people have specific questions and they want to reach out, they could email me directly, Jeff, J-E-F-F at debtfreedr.com. Okay. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It was great meeting you. Yeah, you too, Neil. Uh, Thank you. And I wish the best of success to you and uh, your endeavors. Uh, You as well. Okay, that was Jeff Anzalone from DebtFreeDoctor.com. I highly recommend you go and check him out, um, especially uh, go and get his free guide at uh, DebtFreeDoctor.com slash free guide. So for me, the key lesson learned on this one is that investing in real real estate syndications is not like investing in a stock. You're not investing in a company. You're giving up the control just like investing in a stock but you're also giving up a lot of liquidity. So if things go bad, you the, the real risk is that um, there's a chance you're not going to be able to, to pull that money out. And I thought Jeff had a great point about um, when he invested through one of the crowdfunding sites, He all he knew was the deal um, and what they were telling him about the deal. He didn't actually know the sponsor. And his biggest lesson learned was that he now he wants, he wants the sponsor's cell phone number. Uh, and I highly recommend that as well. You know, we, we've invested in a couple of syndications and I have, I know, I know the sponsor, I can pick up the phone and I can call them and they pick up the phone. Not if I call them in the middle of the night, but you know, there are people, there are actual people I can have a conversation with and ask how things are going. And it's not, I'm not just getting communication with them via a quarterly report. Money. Uh, he he got started with fifty thousand dollars that he invested in a an apartment community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he lost all of it. And that was on that deal. And that was his key lesson learned. There was, um, you know, get to know the sponsor. And that is, you know, one of the drawbacks of syndication is often the barrier to entry is often, you know, you're talking twenty five to fifty thousand dollars a lot of times to get into a deal. That typically is going to be the minimum investment. It also frequently, these are going to be only open to accredited investors. Not always. Sometimes you can find some that are operating uh, under a different SEC guidance. 
and I can't remember, it's 506C or 506B. I can never remember which one it is. I always get them mixed up, but uh, where they will take um, sophisticated investors, you know, people who they've had a, a previous relationship with. It also, those are the kinds of deals that are very definitely not going to be advertised. They can't, that's the rule. The SEC doesn't allow them to advertise for them. So time, how much time does it take him? Uh, really no time. That's the whole point of these. These are, you know, next to investing in stocks. This is probably the most passive real estate investing that you can do. Um, and that's why we really recommend it for people who are high, high income earners who are making a lot of money at their job. Um, focus on making your money at what it is that you're good doing. Um, if you hate your job and you want to go off and become a, an active real estate investor, then go ahead and do that. But don't try and do both at the same time. Give up the control, hand it off to the professionals that you know, and like, let them give you a, a good risk-adjusted return for your money. Knowledge. He talked about he went to a lot of real estate meetings, you know, pre-COVID. Um, he listened to a lot of podcasts and he basically started networking with the guests and, and the podcast, you know, he, he met Joe Fairless. He um, networked with other guests that he heard on uh, the podcast. And I, I highly recommend you do that as well. Like we said, you know, don't be shy. Shoot somebody an email and say, hey, you know, um, I'd love to hear more about what you're about. Uh, he also sought out a mentor. He, you know, he picked up the phone and he called a billionaire there in, in, um, in Louisiana. And when the guy was uh, generous enough with his time to give him two and a half hours, and he said it was, he learned more in two and a half hours than he did of two years of, in college location. This is very location independent. Listen, you can, uh, he lives in Louisiana, invests in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and Texas. And he said, as he builds this up and starts to draw down his practice, he can go and pretty much live anywhere in the world and it, his money will continue to make him money. So, okay. Once again, that was Jeff Anzalone from debtfreedoctor.com. Uh, it was wonderful speaking to him. I'm Neil Henderson. We're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com, and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom.